Hello and welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice news from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Who built Thebes of the Seven Gates? In the books you will read the names of kings. Did the kings haul up the lumps of rock? Solidarity forever! Solidarity forever! Solidarity forever! May 1st is celebrated around the world as International Workers' Day. Bosses often try and tell us that we have to make a choice between jobs and the environment and that we have no option but to continue with an economic system that has led us to the point of climate catastrophe. But there is a growing awareness that to effectively redress climate change, we need to radically change the nature of our economy, to transition to a system that is just for people and the planet. On today's show, we consider this transition and hear about people making the links between their livelihoods and the need to address climate change. We hear from Bob Massey, an expert on climate change and finance. He's the outgoing president of the New Economy Coalition in the United States. And he came to Australia in February as part of the Just Transitions Tour, presented by 350 Australia and Earthworker Cooperative. We also hear from Anna Bottenberg from Earthworker, who are facilitating worker-owned cooperatives for green jobs, seeking to provide a transition for communities reliant on polluting industries. But first we start with Bob Massey, and in this excerpt he outlines three different transitions happening in three very different communities in the United States. It used to be that the powers that be, the people who favoured the status quo, who favoured centralised power both in the electric sense and the political sense, did everything they could to drive a wedge between communities and workers, or environmental groups and workers. And I have a very good friend named Joe Uline, who is the strategic director of strategic campaigns for the AFL-CIO. And when he started out, he was a laborer pouring concrete on the what became notorious Three Mile Island nuclear power plant. And there were environmentalists already then saying, you know, it's not really that great an idea to build this power plant. And out in the parking lot, when they were building the plant, there were bumper stickers that said, hungry, out of work, eat an environmentalist. That was, the, that was the attitude. And every single time there's been a controversy, either companies or governments have stepped in in many ways to polarize this. Say, it's jobs versus the environment. You should be scared of this person. You don't understand the, another person. But it's always more complicated than that. And one of our jobs, your job, is to remember that these polarizations are false. That people who work are also have families, they're concerned about their children. Environmentalists care about communities that are struggling. I really learned this last night. I'm very proud that some of my new friends from the Latrobe Valley are here tonight. We had a fascinating discussion. They opened their ideas and, to some extent, their hearts. What was going on, it was a moving, fascinating, powerful conversation that showed how that portion of the community that I met with was so eager for change, having been burned over and over again by privatization and other instances. So people who are in coal communities 
or who work in coal areas are not enemies in any way. They are part of the solution, but we have to act like that. Anyway, so in the United States, there's been an effort to bring um, labor and environment together and communities together. We have the Blue-Green Alliance, the Apollo Alliance. These are national efforts. Now there are many local efforts. Very proud to learn about Earthworkers, another effort here. But to get over this sense of hostage-taking, companies saying, if you do anything, we will shoot our workers. Um, and workers saying, don't do anything, they're going to shoot us. Um, that's very scary. But again, you can decide your future, or you can have other people decide it for you. They will be happy to decide it for you. They will decide it in whatever way suits them. All right, so what does that mean? In the United States, we have many battles and discussions and points of transition taking place all at the same time. And each one is kind of unique. There's no silver bullet for just transition, but there are certain common lessons. So for example, in Kentucky, my sister lives in Kentucky, my father was born there. In eastern Kentucky, it's coal country, it's part of Appalachia, and because not only has the land been stripped mined and the mountaintop been removed, but the community has been stripped mined and deprived of training and deprived of education and deprived of capital resources, and so the people have decided they've had enough. And so they formed Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. It's known as the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It's a great word, Commonwealth. And they have now been fighting for um, to stop mountaintop removal, to stop the poisoning of streams, to create a living wage requirement for workers to stop the um, unbelievably unsafe, dangerous conditions in the mines, which despite fines and punishment from the federal government, miners are still killed regularly because the companies have ignored this. Um, and they, they now go to the legislature as representatives of the community saying, we want change, and they even sat in in the governor's office because they felt that he was too submissive to coal interests. And now they're laying out a gradual step-by-step -step redevelopment program. It's on their website. If you look up Kentucky for Commonwealth, you will be impressed by all the things that they are doing. Um, and some of them could be adapted and adopted here. In Arizona, on the big Navajo reservation, the Black Mesa reservation, there are 200,000 people who have, um, if you don't mind my language, had the crap kicked out of them by the Peabody mine for years, digging uh, for many things, including uranium, poisoning water, uh, again, undermining uh, the local community, taking away control, and gradually what has happened with Black Mesa is they've reasserted control. They have denied the company Peabody from doing certain new things. They're rewriting their contracts. They're taking control and developing local businesses. They're expanding uh, their wool um, manufacturing and uh, solar power. They're producing solar power on the units on the reservation. But the important thing is they're taking back community control, gradually, painfully, and not, it's not easy. But they have stopped being victims of the coal company. In, what, in Washington, there's been a debate, Washington State up in the Northwest, there's been a huge debate about a big coal plant owned by a company called TransAlta. It was spewing toxic fumes into the neighborhood. Over many years, it was fought. It is now being phased out in an organized plan. When it disappears in about two years, the entire Northwest will be coal-free. 
And with that agreement came uh, a, um, an agreement for $60 million in transition fund money, specifically targeted at the communities for workers, for rehabilitation, for redevelopment, as part of the phased and carefully planned shutdown. So what I basically want to sum up here by saying that these campaigns are not just about saying no. They may start with no, but they lead to a transition from a high carbon, high, highly centralized, and in many cases largely toxic system over towards experimentation with safer, cleaner, renewable energy as part of a fundamental rethinking of economic relationships, which is what is called for now. We need to be on the path towards rethinking how we create prosperity and what prosperity is. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. On today's show, we're talking about just transitions to a renewable economy. Earthworker Cooperative are imagining how this could be done and are putting ideas into practice. Anna Boddenberg explains. So the Earthworker Cooperative uh, is an initiative aiming to set up a network of worker-owned cooperatives in sustainable industries um, and primarily locating those cooperatives in areas that are currently reliant on the fossil fuel industry for jobs or are losing jobs through manufacturing. How did the Earthworker Cooperative come about? It's been a bit of a slow process. Um, It's got its uh, roots, I guess, in the union movement uh, and looking at the intersection between the union movement and the environmental movement. So uh, taking on from the history of like the BLF green bands uh, and looking at the idea that we, we control our labour and our labour should be used for the good of our society. Um, so a few people sort of been pushing for about the last 16 years uh, to get Earthworkers set up and running. Um, and we've had a, a big sort of push in the last two years with our first factory undergoing neutralisation at the moment. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, so Earthworkers' first worker-owned cooperative is now up and running uh, its name is Eureka's Future, and it's uh, manufacturing solar hot water systems. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, Earthworkers had a partnership with Everlast for quite some time now, and Everlast um, was a, a small business manufacturing hot water tanks for solar hot water systems. Uh, and the idea was always that when we reached the right stage in the project, that Everlast would transition into a worker-owned cooperative and become the Eureka's Future Worker Cooperative. Um, so that process has been taking place over the last six months. Um, yeah, we had a crowdfunding campaign in the middle of last year that gave us a bit of boost, a boost to allow that process to take place. Um, so yeah, it's a really exciting time for us now um, with you know Eureka's Future kind of becoming official and, and getting off the ground. It's really exciting and, and, and such an ambitious 
project and really it must be really exciting to set taking shape. Um, can you tell us about some of the, the successes, some of the highs, and also some of the challenges of going through that process of cooperatizing? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's a slow process. Uh, it's not something that can happen overnight. As much as I might wish that, like some Latin American countries, we can occupy our workplaces and just the next day be like, all right, we're a co-op. Uh, it doesn't work quite that easily here. So I guess, like, time... Is, is one of the challenges, just like, you know, keeping up the momentum throughout the whole process so that you, you know, have a, a functioning and, and viable business at the end of it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's it's a really exciting thing to see, um, you know, going from a traditional business model and, you know, hierarchical structure, you know, where management and, and the, the workers on the floor are sort of separate and, you know, there's very, like, strict chains of command to, you know, now it's one worker, one vote, all the decisions, you know, they're, they're discussed and anybody can have their say. Um, so I guess for me, like, that's a really exciting thing to see is just, like, those workers, like, you know, realising that the power they have in their own workplace. I guess something that, that most working people in Australia aren't really socialised into is that... Uh, you know, most of us don't work in democratic workplaces and, and aren't used to that structure. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, from your whole working life, really, you're told, like, this is your place. You've got a boss who will tell you what to do and a manager who makes day-to-day decisions in your job. So it, it is actually like a, an education process, um, you know, learning a new way of, of working and of running your workplace. So going back to basics, wh- why is having uh, a democratic workplace and a workers-owned um, co-op, why is that important for Earthworker? Um, I mean, I see it as being important for a few reasons. Um, you know, as I said, like we have a, a history of, you know, coming from the, the green bands and, you know, the idea that you should be able to decide where your labour goes so on a day-to-day level, being in a workplace where every worker is making the decisions, you know, makes it a lot harder for, you know, the company to take a direction that people disagree with or for jobs to be, you know, sent overseas, um, you know, or conditions to deteriorate. Um, and it's also a lot to do with, you know, we come from a sort of just transitions idea of, you know, looking at environmental change um, and wanting to move away from fossil fuels while supporting the communities and the workers and the families that rely on that industry for jobs um, and for their, you know, for the livelihood of their communities. So what we're saying is that not only can we create jobs in green industries, but that by having them under worker control, that those communities are taking back the economic and and the decision-making power, um, you know, rather than being subject to the whims of, government policy or, you know, huge energy companies. So it sounds like the idea of just transitions that you've you've mentioned is about uh, not just providing employment for people in industries and areas that have been traditionally very reliant on carbon-intensive, very polluting industries, but also changing the very nature of that um, wage relation. Yeah, yeah. 
I guess, you know, there's just transitions is is interpreted differently by many different people and it's not, you know, a clear plan of, of how to go about making these changes. But um, I at least see it as being very important to allow those communities a much greater voice and much greater, you know, uh, control over the economic processes that take place in their community. Politicians and bosses often like to say that we've got to choose between either jobs or the environment, but it seems like that earth workers showing that that isn't necessarily the case. Yeah, I mean, that's one of our central beliefs is that this dichotomy between jobs and environment has just been created and it's it's not real. You know, it's used to divide us. Um, you know, it, it's a very easy line for for politicians and, and for, you know, big business to take is to say that, oh, but, you know, if we, if we do things that are good for the environment, people will lose their jobs. They have to. They have to lose their jobs. Um, you know, it's the only way to do it. We... I mean, we just don't buy into that. It, it doesn't make any sense when you actually look at it. You know, we still need workers. We still need jobs in a low-carbon economy, in, you know, a sustainable society. We just need different jobs and workers doing different things with their labor. So what we need to be doing is creating the jobs that we can easily create in sustainable industries. You know, we we can be making our solar panels here, we can be making our wind turbines here. You know, these are, those are jobs that need to be done. Um, the idea that, you know, by switching off our coal power stations, those jobs just disappear into the ether and will never be seen again, it doesn't make any sense. Do you see there has been an inherent tension um, for workers' co-ops under capitalism? I can't claim to be a an expert in workers' co-ops. Um, I think, you know, there are definitely challenges with trying to set up worker co-ops and to try to operate worker co-ops under our current economic system. Um, I think that those are not insurmountable challenges. Um, you know, for example, one of the things that Earthworker has been trying to develop and has been implementing is looking at like not only um, you know people banding together as worker co-ops to produce things but that looking at uh, communal modes of buying and making use of those things so looking at uh, distributing our products through EBAs um, you know looking at yeah ways in which people can access the the products of worker-owned cooperatives uh, in ways that they wouldn't traditionally do and enabling them to, uh, for example, get a solar hot water system when, you know, perhaps their financial circumstances wouldn't normally allow that. Um, so I guess just using some of the aspects of capitalism to kind of weave around those challenges, if that makes sense. Mm, yep. So it sounds like you kind of described there uh, one of the things that Earthworker is doing uh, with the Eureka Futures um, solar hot water systems is creating alternative 
markets and um, alternative sort of platforms for people to to buy the product, uh, ones which are sort of more based on a social model? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, we we think that workers should support other workers and should be able to access, you know, these things that are, are good for them, will save them money and will also, you know, will lower their carbon footprint um, even if they don't have a huge pool of savings that they can draw on. But, you know, through their workplace, through their wage, they should be able to have access to those products. Turning to the future, what exciting plans does Earthworker have for for the future? We are, well, continuing with the, the process of mutualisation of Eureka's future. So we're setting up a, a direct sales outlet at the factory down in Dandenong so people can go there and see the factory and get, you know, see our products working and buy them straight from us. Uh, so that's happening. There's, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening around Eureka's future just as we get it set up. Um, we're also, in terms of Earthworker itself, which is kind of the umbrella cooperative, um, we've got a retreat happening on the 23rd and 24th of May. So for people who are involved or volunteer with the co-op and also for people who want to get involved, um, you know, we're spending a whole weekend looking at our history and the context in which we operate, looking at our decision-making and, you know, all the different aspects of Earthworker and how it all comes together. Uh, so that will be a really, hopefully a really exciting weekend and hopefully get a lot of people. It's happening down in Banyup, but uh, um, a supporter down there is offering us farm for the weekend, so that'll be great. And if people want to come along, check it out on Facebook. We also, uh, we've just released our second round of debentures, so which is a form of investment for uh, cooperatives which, again, will allow us to continue on with the process at Eureka's Future. But, yeah, so we're looking for investors at the moment, which I have to say, great deal, 12% return. Um, if that closes on the 23rd of May. So if anybody has a little bit of extra cash and wants to put it towards a good project, please get in touch. Um, but, you know, we're just continuing in the long haul. There's other co-ops on the horizon. We've got an information night for people looking at setting up a cleaning cooperative uh, and a landscaping cooperative. We've also got an engineering co-op that's starting up. So we've got big plans. Anna Boddenberg from Earthworker Cooperative. And you can find out more by going to earthworkercooperative.com.au. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Australia's weekly environmental justice program for Community Radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. Music featured on today's show was Solidarity Forever, sung by the Twin Cities Labour Chorus of Minnesota, and You Knew, sung by the Victorian Trades Hall Choir. You also heard an extract from Bertolt Brecht's poem Questions from a Worker Who Reads, read by Amy Middleton. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Earthmatters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earthmatters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Kulin Nations.
You can contact us on 03-9419-8377 or at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. Is there aught we hold in common with the greedy parasite who would lash us into serfdom and would crush us with his might? Is there anything left to us but to organize and fight? For the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. They say our day is over. They say our time is through. They say you need no union if your collar isn't blue. Well, that is just another lie the boss is telling you. For the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. They divide us by our collar. They divide us by our tongue. They divide us men and women. Old and young, but they'll tremble at our voices when they hear these verses sung. For the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. They have taken untold millions. Thank you.